You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Game week number four has arrived here in Happy Valley. I am Tyler Donahue. In just a matter of moments, we'll bring on our colleagues from Lions247.com, Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon, who were both down in Jordan-Hare Stadium. Hopefully you caught our post-game podcast on Saturday night with Daniel, who is still down at that stadium. Uh, a good, good commentary uh, toward the end of that discussion about what exactly it looked like from Penn State's perspective for that post-game celebration. We're going to get into a little bit more of that before we close the book on this Auburn matchup. Talk about uh, some standouts, some storylines coming out of this one before setting the stage a little bit later in the week for Central Michigan coming to town uh, for a noon kickoff this Saturday. Uh, Penn State finishing out its non-conference play. But of course, this was the matchup on the non-conference schedule. Uh, since we last spoke to you, Nick Singleton was named the Big Ten Freshman of the Week once again, second consecutive week that happened. 24-7 Sports also named Nick Singleton its true Freshman of the Week after he went for 129 yards, two touchdowns on 10 carries at Auburn. Jair Brown, Penn State safety, named Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week after filling the stat sheet uh, and, and being a key part of a strong Nittany Lions defensive effort against the Tigers. And oh, by the way, Penn State surging up in national rankings, up from four, up from 22 to 14 now in the AP poll, and also in the coaches poll from 23 to 15. We'll talk about the pathway that may be set up for Penn State here moving toward October. But first, let's bring on Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon, as promised, to review a little bit of what we saw from one of Penn State's most emphatic wins uh, that I've witnessed, at least from the program in, in my five seasons here. And Mark, we'll begin with you because we got a long conversation in Saturday night with Daniel before you guys exited the stadium. Um, Brennan Cam was up uh, on, on Sunday morning, I think, and, and everybody got a chance to check out your view of that post-game celebration at Auburn. But what did it look like behind the lens as you were down there on the field in Jordan-Hare? Well, first of all, appreciate everybody who stayed up for the podcast. Daniel and I were the last two Penn State writers out of the press box and then made the hour-and-a-half drive to Atlanta. But uh, what a great game to cover. You know, you can't do too much coverage. And the Brennan Cam, you know, the cool thing about that was it's been a while since we've been able to do one of those after uh, a, a pretty cool Penn State win out at Purdue. We were not allowed down on the field. And, you know, we, we have to play by the rules of the facility, so there's really nothing you can do but – if you watch the Brennan cam, I want to apologize to, to people if I if I made you seasick or, uh, you know, early on when I when I went out there for the handshake, I was looking for something interesting going on. And it was like the most uh, it was somber is not the right word, but it was just. There was like no enthusiasm because the game was such a blowout and guys are just basically, hey, good luck, number one. And, you know. You know, good luck the rest of the way. So I'm like 
going around like this. And again, I apologize, people. I was looking for something interesting to happen. And then you hear the, the blue band, which was there, fire up. And then you see the emotion in the eyes lighting up for the Penn State players and coaches as they made their way over there. So I, you know, I left that beginning part in just to show the kind of juxtaposition of, oh, well, yeah, you know, business like win at an SEC opponent at, at, a, at, a, at a place people were wondering if Penn State would be able to handle the, the Jordan-Hare uh, atmosphere. Uh, Ho-hum, you know, won the game, now let's go celebrate. And that was the cool part when I was able to get down there, you know, when they're singing the alma mater, when Sean Clifford was gate, let out a primal scream, when James Franklin is high-fiving all the fans and then went down the, the, the one whole sideline to see even more fans. And I know you guys talked about it uh, on the on the post game podcast, but what a turnout of Penn State fans! I mean, that was it, that was impressive. And you know what? I feel good for the people who went because it's been a tough couple years for Penn State fans, and to and to make that trip, you don't know how that game's going to turn out, and to see their their team play the way it did, and then to be able to come down and celebrate with them. That was a pretty cool thing. So hopefully I was able to get a little bit of that across. But again, apologies for anybody who got seasick early in that. Uh, that was my fault. I'll smooth it out for future Brennan Caps. I'd encourage folks out there before you start to get hyped up for, for game number four on Penn State's schedule, go back, check that out. Uh, that video is up on lines247.com, several minutes, and you're going to see a lot of familiar faces, players, coaches, administrators. And, and I would encourage folks, listen closely. You hear some things in the field that, that people are talking that they are, they're not on the record. It's a little bit different than what we normally bring you in terms of coaches and players on video. So I'm just going to put that out there as well. And, and Daniel, I mentioned this and you wrote it up on Sunday. Penn State's on the move. We, we knew that would be the case when you go down and you win by 29 points. I don't care how Auburn is this year. You're going to be on the rise. And Penn State was number 22 in the AP poll coming into this matchup. They leave it at number 14 and uh, number 15 now in the coaches poll. And it certainly seems like James Franklin, um, it, I don't necessarily think he viewed it as a terrible thing to be unranked, at least in terms of motivation for his program. I, I'm sure he would like the number next to his program's name, especially for national perception purposes, every day of every year. But they've gone from that unranked moment where it was very much prove it. And now they're coming out of that three-game stretch where everyone said, can they get out of their two and one? They got out of their three and zero, oh, and now they're within striking distance of the top ten. And they have a pass set up, fellas, where they have this matchup at home against Central Michigan, matchup against North Northwestern here in Beaver Stadium. Northwestern has not looked great by any means this year, and then a bye week. And then you go to Michigan. Right now, this obliterates everything James Franklin wants to maintain from a one and zero perspective. <laughs> but right now, that path is certainly there for a top ten showdown in Ann Arbor on October fifteenth. Things set up really nicely for them. I think when I was typing up, when I was pre-writing that, that AP poll and coaches poll piece in my head, I was thinking, all right, this is probably in the 16, 17, 18 range. Definitely gets them into the top 20. Uh, I thought that some people might, on the nas from a national perspective, might discount Auburn a little bit, given what we've known about that program over the past couple of months. But top 15 after three games, starting from unranked, that's a, that's a pretty big rise. And I think that they've looked like a top 15 team. Um, they went into uh, Jordan Hare Stadium, which even against a, you know, an Auburn team that seemed a little disjointed, uh, it's still you have to beat bad teams. Um, and if you beat them handily, uh, then that's to your credit because that's how you should look. So I think that they, you know, they've in terms of that prove it mindset, I think they've proved a couple things through these first three weeks. And I think they're being rewarded 
um, and some of the perception uh, nationally. You know, you wanted to see the running game. You wanted to see the offensive line. Um, and you just kind of wanted to see this Manny Diaz defense um, also show up and, and force turnovers. And I think you saw everything you wanted to see. So um, you know, I was a little surprised they got all the way up to 14, but it really does set up nicely uh, for, you know, if they take care of business against Central Michigan and Northwestern, which lost to an FCS team uh, over the weekend, a good one, but an FCS team nonetheless at home, um, it is shaped up really nicely depending on what happens ahead of them to you know be in that top 10 range coming out of the bye week in uh like in, in three or four weeks so it's uh things look a lot different uh, i'm sure we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about some of our perceptions um but you know number 14 penn state three and oh um that's not how some of us i think drew it up after three weeks but we're here Hey, don't don't we be are, telling people yeah. that you pre-write stuff. What are you doing? Let them think <laughs> that you crank out eight hundred words to sixteen seconds after the uh, after the announcement is made. So, what? Do you, you know, seriously, on on the rankings, isn't it funny how in the preseason people are like, "Oh, I can't believe they're right." Like people make a deal out of it in the preseason, and when you're in the Big Ten, it doesn't matter because if you take care of business, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna climb up the rankings. And when you have a schedule the way Penn State's schedule is played out. And I, I haven't checked this. I haven't had time to. But, I mean, does anybody else in the country have two road wins over Power 5 teams at, at three games into the season? I mean, that's that's incredible. But so don't even, people don't even worry about the preseason rankings. I mean, you could check them out. They're fun for comparison's sake. But when you're Penn State, you are going to have the opportunity to prove yourself as the season goes along. And we've seen it. I mean, here they are three weeks in at number 14, which I don't think any of us envisioned. I think, yeah, by uh, the way, Pat, I was going to say, ahead, I think Pat ahead, 40, Pat 40 over at Sports Illustrated did have today that Penn State is the only uh, team with two road wins good. over over power five teams. And, and a little interesting nugget, uh, I guess, weekly, he does his own little mini playoff selection and based on the resumes of teams at the time and Penn State was in there uh, as the three seed. So that's interesting uh, in terms of national perception. Um, but we got nine, nine more games, ten more weeks. Uh, no way, <laughs> we're, we're we're talking national championship already. We make it, Daniel and I were saying now we're, that the, the the game, the Penn State basketball game at the Palestra, the second week of January, we could be in trouble because we're probably <laughs> going to be covering playoffs at that point. I'm kidding, people. I'm kidding, people. There's a long way to go. Let me wrangle in these guests real quick and, and, and remind them that, that, yeah, number three, Ohio State, and number four, Michigan, on the schedule in October. To your point, if you want to prove it, the stepping stones are there every year for Penn State. Uh, they're not always uh, set up to succeed and, and, and prove it. But this year, uh, you know, I think the one thing, and, and we'll get to this with our mailback question a little bit later, which asks us to kind of reevaluate our preseason predictions through the three games. Uh, but I think the, the, the thing that you look at here is the Purdue probably thought that was going to be some kind of dramatic – outcome and 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 i think the the betting line reflected that and our predictions for the most part reflected that i thought going to auburn there was a little bit of a mixed bag nationally a lot of people just felt like auburn was going to find a way to hold home home field and and come away with the win and, and rely on some maybe intangibles to get away with the win against penn state um but when i was forecasting this one it just felt like this was the superior team in the matchup and I think for Penn State to set all the other stuff aside when they went down to SEC territory and not just bully and, and, and put away Auburn, but to 
prevent Auburn from piling up some garbage time points to make the scoreboard look even more respectable. There's just no way, unless you try really hard, that you come out of this game and you can sneeze at what Penn State accomplished at Auburn. I don't care if you think Auburn's going to win five or six games the rest of the way this season and end up being a team that fires their coach and misses a bowl game. What Penn State did in the vacuum of that Saturday you got to give all the credit in the world to James Franklin and and the fans that traveled there got a reward for it. Um, and now Penn State comes back home, and, and it certainly seems like they have earned this rise in the top 25, whereas a lot of teams, they kind of work their way up because the people in front of them are falling by the wayside. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, a lot of national people and I think a lot of the Auburn writers put way too much stock in the home field advantage there. Let me be straight. That is a great place. I mean, the campus is beautiful. The fans are tremendous, like almost painfully friendly. Uh, just, you know, really behind their team. And I thought there were times in that game when they, when they did cause some, some offensive penalties for Penn State. But I got news for you, man. This Penn State team has played at Iowa. It's played at Ohio State. You know, I don't even put Michigan in there because I don't think that's that great of an atmosphere. I just don't. I mean, I, 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 I think Wisconsin's actually a better atmosphere. This is a Penn State team, and and every team in the Big Ten has been on the road in, in hostile, hostile environments. When you're at Iowa, you know, you're not getting polite fans, man. You are getting. I mean, you're getting people coming after you during the game, sitting 15 feet away from you. And Daniel brought up a good point that uh, Jordan Hare, that there's the hedges in there. The fans are like really far away. So I think there was a little bit too much put on that. Having said that, you went at an SEC team that's won a national championship in the last decade or so. That That is a legitimate win. That's a very good program. You could definitely hang your hat. That's why not everybody's playing those games. That's why James Franklin doesn't want to play those games moving forward. Because, yeah, it's great if you win it. But that's not a given. So to go down there, I do think it's good for the resume. And let's face it, when it gets to November, December, and if Penn State's in that conversation where everybody's pulling out the resumes and doing the blind tests, that 29-point win, I don't care how Auburn goes the rest of the way, that was an emphatic victory. And uh, and I think Auburn's going to play some of the other college football playoff contenders a bit closer as the season goes on. So that'll be an interesting kind of – if it comes down to it and you're looking for little tiny nuances that can separate one team from the other, especially before we get into playoff expansion – and now here I am talking about playoffs. Thanks, guys. Uh, but but Penn State, uh, I don't care how Auburn fares moving forward. Just be able to point to that score and say, look, we went down there, we handled business, and we came home with it with a huge win. There's just really not anything people can do, I think, to, to put really to, to put any kind of damper on what Penn State was able to accomplish. Yeah, and, and kicked a field goal late in the game when they could have probably punched in another touchdown. When you talk about those resumes. You know, I thought Penn State did the classy thing there. They could have punched in another TD and didn't do it when, you know, down the line, I think a lot of teams in that position are not going to kick that field goal. I think they're going to punch in another TD to make the score even more lopsided. I, I think no matter what happens down the stretch, this this win will age fine for Penn State. Uh, if, if Auburn finds itself, finds its footing, uh, and, and has a respectable season, then you went down and you, you know, kicked in the teeth of a bowl team. Uh, if Auburn fully bottoms out, um, then you went down there and you did what you were supposed to do um, and blew out a, a bad team. So I think that Penn State is in good shape with this moving forward. Um, it will be interesting. Uh, I think when you talk about Big Ten SEC comparisons to see how some of those other uh, you know, CFP contenders uh, stack up against Auburn, 
Um, in the past, it seems like the committee has really weighed those, you know, common opponents and things like that uh, when it comes to the rankings. So I think that this will be a game that no matter what Auburn does, uh, we're going to be talking about this, uh, I think, a lot um, come late October and November uh, once these rankings start uh, and once, um, you know, I think things kind of start to settle in. Yeah, and if you're a Penn State fan now, you better be an Auburn fan the rest of the way. Seriously, that's the way it works. And this, I mean, you look at who Auburn plays, LSU, Georgia, Arkansas, uh, and then I think there's a game at the end of the season, they play some team in the Iron Bowl. I forget who it is, but it's, a, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you just go right down there, A&M. I mean, right now, if you're a Penn State fan, you're rooting for Auburn in every one of those games because every game that Auburn plays well reflects positively on Penn State. Brian Harson, I'm sure, sub- appreciates the support at this point <laughs> from Penn State fans. Um, They're the only one, ones. <laughs> one thing that we kept coming back to on the postgame podcast, and I know Daniel wrote a story off this on Saturday night, is the physicality that Penn State displayed. We've talked so much about team speed and how that's going to be an issue for a lot of Big Ten opponents this year as we forecast what Penn State can accomplish. But I think you made two, three, four shout-outs toward this offensive line on our pregame podcast last Thursday in terms of hey, this is the litmus test, and you're going to be judged off of it. What say you now? Yeah, good for them. They, they proved it. And you know what the funny thing was? It's like after the game, nobody even made a big deal of it. And that's that's what happened. Classic offensive line. That's with yeah. the offensive line. That's how it works. Everybody's saying how great Singleton is and what a great job Clifford did in the receivers and yeah. what a tremendous block by Theo Johnson, which it was a tremendous block. But that – if if you're Phil Troutwine and you're those offensive linemen, you don't care. The the proof is in 250 rushing, 250 passing. When you have an offensive line, it's right in there. I forget what the exact numbers are, but when you have an offensive line that allows you to have that sort of balance, they they got the job done. Give them all the credit. Now let's see you start stacking up games like this. Let's see you start putting game after game. No sacks in that game. I don't think there are any QB hurries. What a great job that offensive line did. And listen, I get it. I agree that Nick Singleton, and we talked about this in the preseason, that an explosive back can make an offensive line look better. But I got news for you. Nick Singleton had 10 carries in that game. Mm -hmm. you know, And he was tremendous. He was phenomenal when he was in there. But he had four carries for 10 yards in the first half. So that wasn't all Nick Singleton. That offensive line was out there every single snap. Obviously, you can't play without an offensive line. Over on defense, they may go with an entire secondary, you know, 11 defensive backs at some point. But that offensive line did a great job, you know, flying under the radar a little bit, which is where offensive lines want to be. Then now start stacking those games up. These next two games, it's going to be important to follow that up and, and just play better and better heading into the meat of the schedule. Singleton averaged 12.4 yards per carry, but Katron Allen, nine carries, averaging almost six yards on each of those. Devin Ford, seven carries, averaged more than five yards on those. Kevon Lee, four carries, averaged four and a half yards. So uh, it was a group effort, and and to your point, it it is very classic of the offensive line. And of a kicker, Jake Pinniger, I didn't hear a lot of people talking about him coming out of this one. Uh, A lot of people were discussing him coming out of that Ohio matchup. We gave Jake Pinniger a tip of the cap on our postgame podcast, uh, hit a couple field goals. One was from 48, handled all of his extra points certainly handled himself well in a week where people were wondering if he might lose his grip entirely on that job. And um, let's go to the quarterback who we said is the guy you want 
facing a situation like what they experienced in Jordan Hare. Uh, Daniel, we discussed it quite a bit, but coming out of this now, we got a three-game assessment of who Sean Clifford is in 2022. Um, you've also got a, a nice peak or two or three at Drew Aller and what he might be for you. But quickly going through Sean Clifford's stats during the 3-0 start, uh, he's at 64% completion percentage. That's three points higher than at any other season of his of his starting career for Penn State. He's got eight total touchdowns, five of those through the air, three on the ground, and only one turnover, which we all know was a huge, huge mistake, but he swiftly avenged that. There was another late drive in, in the first half that was able to put Penn State, uh, give them some kish, cushion going into halftime. I thought really did some things in terms of the mindset of both of these programs coming out of intermission. What do we think about number 14 so far? I feel really good about what we've seen from Sean Clifford. Um, I think that we, you know, we've said this uh, a bunch of times where this is his sixth year, his fourth year as a starter. We kind of know what his ceiling is. We know what it looks like when, when everything is going well. Um, and I think that, you know, I don't want to damn him with faint praise or anything, but the fact that he's not really someone that, that we're talking about a ton coming out of this game um, is, I think, really good. Um, I think that that's kind of what you want to see, you know, 14 of 19 for 178 yards. Um, I talked about it Saturday night. The mistakes weren't really anything that he did. You know, there weren't any gasps in the press box as he, you know, threw the ball over the middle or, um, you know, threw the ball into traffic. I felt like a couple of his misses were deep where no one, no one could get to the ball. Um, and then some of the other incompletions, you know, he missed Parker Washington twice wide open. Who knows what the progressions um, on those plays technically are, um, especially the one where Parker was out in the left flat. Um, I think that that was a little bit more of a, of a diversion. Um, so I think that he's just commanding the offense very well um, that, you know, he has a handle. I mean, it, it's year two under Mike Yersich. Um, I think that he kind of showed on Saturday what that looks like when it's clicking Obviously, you can't discount the benefit of having a running game um, where even when Devin Ford, when Katron Allen, when Kevon Lee are all averaging four and a half yards per carry or better, that obviously makes his job a lot easier. Um, so I feel good about what we've seen out of Sean Clifford. Obviously, it's high variance um, and, you know, you, you you're still holding your breath uh, for, you know, when the other shoe might drop. But I think the fact that the past two games, there hasn't been much of that. I think that bodes well. Um, and then, you know, I mean, for all the talk about the middle eight, um, the fact that when it's been crunch time, uh, even in the first half, when uh, it's a little bit less pressure of crunch time, but in the flow of a game, it's still crunch time. The fact that he's shown up then, I think bodes really, really well moving forward. Yeah, I wrote Tyler. Yeah, I'm sorry, Tyler. I wrote that that when when he took that hit from Papo uh, in, in the first quarter, the entire stadium was like, whoa. Yeah, they were like, people were jacked. And Auburn was jacked. And he popped up, brushed it off. Okay, let's quarterback sneak on the next play. You know what I mean? Or whatever, whenever it was. I mean, it's like th that was – I think that sent a message loud and clear that Penn State was in this – for a fist fight. When you go back to the whole physical thing, when your quarterback shakes that off. And then the other thing that it didn't occur to me until yesterday, you know, flying back, you have a chance to kind of look over some things and think about it. They still ran him after that. I mean, that speaks to the confidence they have in QB two. 
and the fact that you know you don't want to put Clifford in danger. But I mean, he had a rushing touchdown after that. You know, he 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 did put himself in danger, and I think having knowing that you have a more capable number two at this point is just huge because I think you could let Clifford play his game and take an occasional chance and not worry that if he gets banged up, there's going to be a gigantic drop off when, when, when Aller comes in. And for the first time in a long time, uh, for the first time in the majority of, of Sean Clifford's career, it feels like he may have that ground game that, that, you know, said it before Sean Clifford I think can be a very good quarterback I think he's shown stretches of very good quarterback play with the Nittany Lions there have been valleys though along the way and because of that when you're relying upon Sean Clifford leading you to victories and leading your offense and being that primary source and throwing it up to Jahan Dotson and trying to get downfield with his guys it's just been a severely severely lacking aspect of this offense with Sean Clifford as the quarterback there's been multiple offensive coordinators we talked about the offensive line play and that how, how that is tied into it but Daniel I don't think there's any way you can really match up last year's Reno to start to this year's Reno start aside that you got to that third win against Auburn because stylistically it has been such a different process the last couple of weeks. They didn't have that Villanova game where, where they bottomed out in the run game. And then against Auburn, they didn't have to escape and they didn't have to rely upon Sean Clifford to get it done. It was Sean Clifford staying the course and Nick Single scooting, Nick Singleton scooting and, and, and Katron Allen helping to put the game away. It feels different. And I know people are trying to draw those parallels, but maybe don't Penn State fans, maybe don't make yourself go there. I, th- I think Penn State blew up all those parallels on on Saturday because those first two weeks, the script was was pretty similar uh, in terms of close win in week one uh, and then in week two, taking care of business against a MAC team, even though I think the Ohio win was probably a lot more impressive uh, than that Ball State win. Um, obviously, Central Michigan uh, this weekend presents a couple challenges based on what their quarterback has done this year and what their running back has done in the past, even though that hasn't really carried over um, into this year because of some, I think some losses up front on the line. Um, but I mean, Penn state is in good shape and I think they really busted the comparisons from last year with, with how they beat Auburn. Um, it wasn't an escape. Um, it was comfortable. It was, you know, they made it look easy in the second half. Um, whereas last year it was just such a fist fight um, the whole way through. And, the feeling at the end was, I think, a lot of relief that they that they survived that. I mean, Bo Nix had the ball uh, late in that game and before Jaquan Brisker sealed it. So I think that the fact that Penn State didn't really even need to escape uh, Jordan Hare Stadium bodes well for you know having a signature win early and showing that things are different from last year. Um, I think that that's that's pretty big. Um, you know, I think a lot of people will probably be. You know, be wary of uh, of something because this fan base and we know how quickly you can fall back to earth uh, from being five and zero and ranked in the top five nationally. But things are things are shaping up nicely. Um, I think that they've really really established that this is a different team from last year, um, and so we'll we'll see how that carries over with these next two games, which should be on paper should be games where you take care of business into that bye week. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We talked about on the post-game podcast, Brenton Strange had himself a nice game as a blocker, as a receiver, certainly rounding into form at the tight end spot. Uh, but I, and, and the offensive line probably can go back there and go through all of those guys. I thought Landon Tangwall uh, took a step forward for his career. Olu Fashano took some lumps, as you would expect, going into, uh, into onto the road against an SEC opponent with different level defensive ends. But I think ultimately he'll be better for this. And I think by the end of the game, he was winning far more battles than he lost on the day. So really uh, another sign of progress for Olu Fashano. And, Juice Scruggs, I mean, Mark, you've been pointing to him for, for a couple months now as being the guy who is going to st- take that next step for Penn State. He's there physically, certainly seems to be there mentally right now and the way he's approaching the game. And I just think you go across the board right now. But the body language to me and the swagger of this team, I'm actually going to go over the defensive side of the football because I felt like they were the tone setters. And that was an important part of this game. And not just trying to take the crowd out of it, but trying to take the soul and the heart out of your opponent a little bit. It felt like whichever team was able to get to that point first was going to be in a really good spot. And I felt like because of the way they approached this matchup, because of the way they fired off at TJ Finley, uh, who was right for picking as I thought he might be as this game progressed. Manny Diaz, Mark, we've been waiting to see what it might look like. Four turnovers, defensive player of the week in the Big Ten with Jair Brown. What are your thoughts on what we saw from this defense? Well, I mean, the the stuff that they can do with their defensive backs because you have guys like Jair Brown is, you know, it's unbelievable. I mean, we where we were, it wasn't a typical press box area. It was down in the one corner. And on the brisker, uh, not the brisker, the brown, we all I've, have we all done that? I know <laughs> I've done it way too often, the Lackawanna connection. But on, on the brown blitz where he caused the fumble, we, we could see it coming. You could see it. He was up there, and I, we didn't know how he was going to go, but he kind of looped around. And I just think when you have weapons like that, I mean, that's just something else. And then for the pass rush to finally get home in various different ways, that's what I thought was fun. I mean, you had Curtis Jacobs. You had Adisa Isaac as a linebacker getting his first sack in two years uh, or as a defensive end getting his first sack. Um, you know, since since the injury, you had defensive backs getting in there coming from all different angles. And I think – I forget if it was you, Tyler, or if it was you, Daniel, said that said prior to the game last week that – would not be surprised to see Manny that if Manny Diaz still has some tricks in the bag that he hasn't shown. Yeah. And sure enough, he did. I mean, it, he just seems like he's much more aggressive than Pry was. And I, I like Brent Pry, you know, wish him nothing but the best, but coming from different places and it, it just seems a lot more complicated for offenses to figure out. I think they continue to put stuff on tape. That's going to be difficult for teams to figure out, but I do think it all goes back to, when you have that many versatile defensive backs who are comfortable playing in all different areas, it just allows you to do so many different things. And, and even when they were going to that nickel and dime, you know, I know that Auburn was in a lot of uh, third and longs, you know, but, but they, 
they could never establish the running game. And we thought that was something they were going to do, be able to do. So shout out to the D line for helping in that area. I thought the linebackers represented, but to me, the key to this defense is, is the versatility of all those guys in the secondary. And it was kind of fitting that Jair Brown Tig was, was defensive player of the week in the big 10. Six sacks total for the Nittany Lions defense. Some freshmen got involved in that party. Abdul Carter denied Dennis Sutton uh, logging those as well. We saw Zaki Wheatley, the, the takeaway king, come up with another moment there. Um, and I think collectively you just start to get the sense that they're playing consistently now at 15 to 18 guys with without hesitation. Um, now we'll see if that tightens up when you play the Ohio States and Michigan's on your schedule. But to me, it's going to take a quarterback who can not only have the physical tools to get it done, but – to be able to process things and then deliver in real time against the defense with a mind like Manny Diaz. I think people got so caught up on him being the head coach that they forgot about his tremendous track record as a defensive coordinator, which put him in a spot to be the head coach of the Miami Hurricanes. He's been in a bunch of different Power 5 conferences, spent time in the SEC with Mississippi State. Um, there's not a lot he hasn't seen, and I just think when you look at the quarterbacks on Penn State's schedule, there's a stretch in October that you, know, you raise some flags and say they're going to play some serious passers, but overall – Quarterback play is not a strong suit on this schedule. And, and as we've seen the last couple of weeks, uh, I think you got past that Purdue game and you're able to exhale a little bit in terms of quarterbacks you're facing for like a five, six week stretch. Not saying you ever want to take your foot off the gas pedal, but I think they're well positioned right now uh, to feast on some of the quarterbacks they will face. Definitely. The one that the one that's most curious, I think the biggest wild card for me in terms of quarterback is uh, what Michigan does uh, mm -hmm. with J.J. McCarthy stepping in for, for Cade McNamara. Uh, we saw what Cade McNamara did last year in Happy Valley, and it was very solid. Um, you know, he put the ball in the right in the right spot. Uh, and so that when Penn State did make a mistake, uh, Michigan was was there to take advantage of it. Um, and if you look even further down the schedule, uh, Tanner Morgan uh, Minnesota lost Chris Altman Bell for the season. Um, so that's a very, very big loss uh, for, for the Minnesota offense. And yeah, I mean, I go back to the summer when I was doing those position rankings and you think, okay, quarterback, like there's going to be, there's going to be some good ones. It's the big 10, it's a power five conference. Um, some of these teams have been recruiting at, at a pretty high level at the position. And then you go through it. And I think I got to that number five spot was very, very hard to fill in. So we'll see. I mean, you look at Maryland, Talia Tungavailoa uh, has been pretty solid early on, and they can light up the scoreboard. Um, so the, the quarterback play is is not terrifying, and then that makes you feel even better about what they're able to do in the back end because you know if, if Penn State can shut down um, an opposing defense with just their – an opposing offense with just their back four guys or – or five if Daquan Hardy's in there, that does a lot for that front seven and gives Mandy Diaz a lot more options. And they got a true grown man, uh, I mean, at the center of this and P.J. Mustafer. I think you saw that. I mean, he doesn't fill the stat sheet, but I think we all saw it early in this game, his ability to to just hold up the offensive line uh, a couple of guys at a time and make make life miserable for a running back who's trying to find some space. And, um, you know, I think Auburn's coaching staff's under some fire for not going to those running backs early enough and, and often enough. Uh, but Penn State did its part to dissuade Auburn from doing that. And, and, I, and look, Adiza Isaac, he's coming along. Um, P.J. Musfer back from an injury. But to me, a big part of this is some of the new faces. And Abdul Carter is really hard to ignore. Mark, you've been discussing him for some time, the preseason buzz. Daniel, you wrote off of him. I'm going to throw it to both of you. We'll start with you, Mark. 
what can Abdul Carter change about the way we forecast this defense's capabilities in 2022? Well, the thing I like is is that he's playing behind Curtis Jacobs, who uh, so so there's not a ton of pressure on him to be the guy right now. And he's going to be the guy at some point. You know, I don't know if it's this year. I'm not saying he's going to pass Jacobs or if they put him in a different spot or whatever. Uh, you know, I think James Franklin said last week that they could ultimately see him playing that Mike position, but it's a lot to put on his plate at this point. But I think being able to have him behind a guy who is playing really well. I, th- I, I love Jacobs. I thought he had a nice game. Uh, I, I think that's just a bonus for Abdul Carter to not have to rush him along. And this has been par for the course at Penn State with uh, with great linebackers and number 11s either, even. You know, way back in the day, it took, you know, LeVar Arrington was playing behind Aaron Gatton. He could not get – he could they, they were reluctant to really start him. Micah Parsons spent the season where he led the team in tackles, and I think he only made one or two starts. And it's just I, – I actually like that you do that because, number one, you're keeping the kid from, you know, maybe – blowing up his ego a little bit. Not that I think that that will be an issue with Abdul Carter, but you're able to bring him along in a measured way, learning from an experienced veteran who's playing really well. And, uh, but yeah, clearly when he gets out there, you know, I hate to invoke the Micah Parsons, but you can see it. I mean, the guy is just running sideline to sideline, making plays and just has a nose for the football. And then the other, the other thing is when, uh, uh, when Jacobs got banged up, now, you know, it's much like the quarterback position. Now you they don't blink when Abdul Carter goes in there because it's like, okay, you know, one of our best linebackers is banged up. Now we're bringing in this guy. Now this is what you have to face as the Auburn uh, as the Auburn offense. I will say one other quick thing. Uh, teams better have a really good quarterback to play this this Penn State off or defense. Because we saw what happened at Auburn if you don't have a good quarterback. Those quarterbacks were lousy throwing the ball. You better have somebody who could spin the ball a little bit or you're going to be in trouble. So sorry, Daniel. I know you had some comments on Abdul too. I think bringing up Abdul Carter playing behind Curtis Jacobs is is really good. And kind of what like you mentioned, when Curtis Jacobs goes down, you get to turn to Abdul Carter, um, which from an athleticism standpoint isn't a huge drop-off. And I think that applies to rotating through the game too where if Curtis Jacobs is playing a lot of snaps if they need to get him a breather you put Abdul Carter in and there's not as there's not a significant drop off from an athleticism standpoint Um, I think that we were concerned about the linebacker depth coming into the year and I think the fact that Abdul Carter is as advertised as we were told he would be I think that makes you feel a little bit better about the position Um, you know down the road do they move him around a little bit um, I saw someone on our board said they'd like to see Jacobs and Carter out there at the same time, uh, which I think would be a pretty good package at the second level. Um, we'll see as they bring him along. Um, I mean, he only got here in the summer, so he didn't have quite the head start as some of the other players, but I've just been really impressed with him so far. Um, James Franklin has described him a couple times um, as a violent player. Um, and then in his interview with Penn State's in-house media, Abdul Carter talked about that kind of being an identity of the offense or an approach that they wanted to take. So I think Manny Diaz has them in a really, really good spot uh, in terms of being aggressive and flying around. Last week, Curtis Jacobs said that that's really what what is being preached is use your instincts, be aggressive, 
And if you miss an assignment, um, if something goes wrong, there's going to be other guys there also being aggressive who can help pick you up. And I think we saw that a little bit on Saturday. And it's just been, you know, overall, it's just been a, a very, very fun defense to watch so far. And I will give some, uh, you know, certainly some credit over to, to Kobe King, Tyler Elson. A lot of our conversation at the Mike linebacker position the last couple of weeks has been, oh, Jair Brown's playing there. That's an interesting package. I thought Kobe King, uh, particularly, uh, and no, you know, no disrespect to, to Tyler Elson, I just thought he flashed a little bit more over the course of this game, probably more than he had at any point earlier in the season. Um, the thing about this, guys, at, at the linebacker spot is um, – Brandon Smith was here last year. He was a former five-star prospect. I don't mean disrespect to him because he's off as an NFL rookie right now, but you're getting higher quality play at that position. You might be getting higher quality play at that position than from a couple guys when it's all said and done now. It's just remarkable when you factor in what Abdul Carter looks, Abdul Carter looks like from a comfort level and, and from a kind of anticipatory level versus what they've rolled out at that position. Yeah, um, what was a very good defense, uh, a very good defense in 2021 I think that's been very surprising to me as we've kind of looked at the holes they needed to plug. This feels like it's been uh, an approved upon spot. And we've talked a lot about what linebacker needs to grow, needs to grow through three weeks to me. Um, long way to go still big test ahead. Uh, but the progress report is promising. And a big part of that is the new number 11. Yeah. And knock on wood. I mean, a big key for this team moving forward is going to be keeping those linebackers who are playing a lot of football healthy. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I hope that's not the kiss of death, but, uh, you know, they have they have enough players right now to get the job done. Uh, but knock on wood. There's one other thing I wanted to throw out there and it just hit me when I was down on the field at the end of the game, uh, not at linebacker, but at, at defensive end when Deny Dennis Sutton had that sack. I was down on the sideline and it was really cool. He comes off the field and Devon Ellie's uh Adisa Isaac you know you name it all of these veteran players coming over to hug that guy up over getting his first sack they were as excited for him as if they would have ha had to sack themselves and and there's I know it's early in the season and I know this team hasn't faced adversity in the terms of a loss but the dynamic over on that defense seems to be you know at this point i just love the dynamic i uh, you know everybody seems to have everybody's back one guy that we didn't throw out there uh earlier jalen reed came through and made a big play on on the zaki wheatley pick you know it, it, and the, the enthusiasm just among these guys and that really when, when deny came off and you see these veterans who that game was was in the bag these guys could have been back sitting on a bench, drinking Gatorade, getting ready to celebrate. But no, they, they see this guy have a sack, his first sack of his career of what's going to be a lot of sacks. And they want to be there to welcome him back. So that was pretty cool. Well, we spent a lot of time on this show kind of speaking about what we've learned from Penn State. And I'm with you on the defense. There are very good vibes there. I, I like that guys don't seem overly concerned on who's starting football games because they know by the end of the first quarter, there's going to be 18 guys involved in the field. That's a healthy thing, I think, for this defense. And uh, before we get to our five-star mailbag, just one last hop on the hype train comment on Nick Singleton. I wrote a story about this on Sunday. Um, upon further review, this, the, the stats were even prettier to look at after our post-game podcast. I know I had mentioned that he had those back-to-back -back games with multiple 40-plus yard rushes. He went 20 years for a Penn State football fan, not seeing a single running back doing it in a single game. Nick Singleton has done it 
in consecutive Saturdays. Um, over the course of those two games, five 40-plus yard rushes. That leads all of college football at this point of the season. And I want to note this. Take the freshman aspect aside, no Penn State running back since 2002 when Larry Johnson was embarking on his Heisman Trophy finalist <clears throat> campaign has had more rushing yards through the first three weeks of a season than Nick Singleton currently does, 334 yards. Uh, now, Larry Johnson had 362 yards in those first three games of 2002, uh, but he needed 54 carries to get there. Nick Singleton has 334 yards on 30 carries. And just from more recent context, because I know people are saying, well, how did Barkley not do this? What about Miles Sanders? Saquon Barkley in 20, uh, 2017 as a junior, uh, 38 carries to get to 307 yards. And then Miles Sanders during that all big 10 campaign early in 2018, he had 40, uh, 49 carries for 295 yards. Uh, a lot of it has come uh, on, on four or five different runs. And, and then I, I know people want to see kind of spread out, but this works, this is working very well. And I think in an historic context, you're starting to see exactly why Nick Singleton was being discussed ad nauseum for much of this offseason and, and and why we were so confident he was going to come in and make that impact. Um, but fellas, 3-0 is 3-0. What does it mean for the next nine games? Let's get to our five-star mailbag because we're about a month from issuing our preseason predictions. Um, and so that's where we circle back to for this question. Let me pull it up here. Uh, here it is. <laughs> what stands out to you? Uh, I'm sorry. Here it is. Actually, this one. What was your preseason prediction for Penn State's record? And have you adjusted that based on the 3-0 start? Sorry for the confusion there. I had it in front of me until I didn't. Yeah, I'll take this. I'll, I'll go first on this one. Um, I hate adjusting my predictions. Like for game predictions, I usually ha I have to make them on Sunday because we shoot our TV show on Sunday and things may pop up. So I never really adjust. But this is a little bit different uh, approach to an entire season. My pick was nine and three. I think as I look at it now, I would adjust it to 10 and two. You know, I, I, I my thought is they beat either Michigan or Ohio State, which means they lose one of those two games. And then I think maybe there's a wild card loss in there at some point. And I only say that because it seems like every year under James Franklin, there's a wild card. There's at least one wild card loss. They lose a game that maybe they shouldn't lose. So I'm looking at 10 and two, the, the depth, I don't want to say it surprised me, but I think there uh, of all the things that have gone well for them and all the people who are playing well, I just think the overall depth of this team on both sides of the ball, the production they can get from so many different positions has really set them up to be successful for the long term this season. So I'm looking at 10 and two and uh, you know, I, I don't know that I'm ready. I was joking earlier about the playoff. They still have to prove some things. I mean, until you prove it against Ohio state in this conference, we know uh, I, I think, they, they match up well with Michigan, but that's going to be a tough place to play. So I'm adjusting it up to 10 and two at this point, and we'll see how it goes. I came into the year at eight and four, um, and I, I had it with five games that were kind of the ones that, that stood out to me as, as the potential trip spots uh, in Purdue, Auburn, Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State. Um, and my, my logic was that Purdue was the wild card loss split Auburn uh, and Michigan State, um, and then losses to Michigan and Ohio State. So I'm adjusting up to 10 and 2, um, kind of similar to, to what Mark said um, in terms of what this team has shown. I think when you look around the conference, uh, Michigan hasn't played anybody yet. Um, so the jury is still out there. Um, I don't think they're necessarily as good as they were last year, especially losing 
what they lost uh, from those defensive ends. Um, and then Michigan State took a pretty tough loss at Washington uh, on Saturday night, which I think Washington might just be better um, than a lot of people thought coming in based on how last year went um, and their coaching change. So I think I want to see what Michigan, how Michigan State kind of rebounds what Washington does uh, the next couple weeks to really get a feel out of that. Um, but I think that with what we've seen, I mean, this looks like a 10 win team to me, you've got the two wins over power five opponents on the road, um, which proves something that shows something. Um, and I was very wrong about the Purdue game. Uh, so I'll wear that one. Uh, and it looks like I'm going to be wrong about uh, the season as a whole. Well, Daniel, you were one hell of a Sean Clifford touchdown drive <laughs> away from being very right about that game. So don't beat yourself up too badly, but going from eight to 10, Clearly, you're trying to to, to win back some fans uh, <laughs> after that. Um, so, oh, yeah. so you brought that ten. I, I'm with you. I was a nine and three, and I was very. It was important to me to me to note when I made my preseason prediction that I thought they would be five and zero oh, heading into the bye week and finish nine and three. Um, I, I never bought into what Auburn was trying to sell uh, during the preseason. Couldn't take the stink away from how they finished last year and how the soft season went for them. I'm surprised that it was a 29 point victory that Penn State was able to go down to Jordan Hare and. You know, push the Tigers to their to the ground and their own playground. I didn't see that coming. Um, so I, I am at this point thinking that that toss up game. I was with you. I, I had them losing to Ohio State, losing at Michigan, like a lot of our colleagues did, and then thinking there would be another game along the way that they would get tripped up because of how they came out against Ohio. Actually, wasn't sloppy. Wasn't a lot of sleepwalking. I thought that was a little bit different than some scenarios we've seen play out in years past in early non conference action. And then what we saw on the road on Saturday, where all bets are kind of off on what this team could could do as they start continue to gel and get the younger players involved um, and get that confidence going. So I'm going to go to 10 wins. I'm not ready to say that that they're going to get to it 11 wins and that I'm ready to push them right into Indy. But to your point, Daniel, uh, Michigan, they're number four in the country. We've got to learn a lot about them and their new starting quarterback when, when, when things start to heat up for them. Ohio State's proven a lot over the years with the current players that they have. Uh, but I look at the remainder of Penn State's schedule and some of the more shakier ground games that I thought because of the way Penn State has stabilized itself, because of the way they've attached a ground game to Sean Clifford in this backfield, and because of the way the new pieces on defense have quickly come together and shown they're ready to make an impact right now, they're further ahead of schedule. I thought they'd be a team that we come out of the year saying they took the right steps. This is a, a signs of progress you needed, but they still have ground to make up in the Big Ten. Right now, maybe they have ground to make up, but it may just be a team or two. Unfortunately, those two teams, they're going to have to play on their schedule. Um, so all of a sudden, we're all pushing towards 10, guys. So you talked about the playoffs earlier. If you're flirting with 10 wins, it's going to put you in that conversation at least for a while. So Stay tuned. we got to have a lot to discuss this week. Central Michigan is coming to town, but I appreciate you guys for hopping on here after some lengthy schedule itineraries uh, to, to break this one down one more time. Yeah, great being here. Uh, as always, thanks, Lance, for the great job you do behind the scenes. Amen. Well, Lance Glenn getting it done as our producer. We've got a lot cooking for the show this week. Uh, plan on having a special guest. We'll reveal that when it's time. We're going to talk about Central Michigan, this matchup coming up in Beaver Stadium. We'll be back in the press conference with James Franklin tomorrow, back on the practice field Wednesday. It's all going down at lines247.com. Don't miss out on our coverage. Tyler Calvaruzzo has a recruiting notebook up on a Monday. A lot going on right now. Appreciate everyone listening to us here on the podcast. I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 podcast.